0: Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. is great to be with you another Wednesday evening, where we have the opportunity to reflect into the figure of Pope Francis. What we do here every Wednesday is we take up where Pope Francis is in the news, and seemingly there's something each and every week, if not each and every day. And then out from that, we look at his apostolic exhortation, The Joy of the Gospel, which really affords us here each and every Wednesday to engage the heart and mind of Pope Francis on this most important topic of this call we have before us as a Catholic church, yes, but also as a Christian church to evangelize the truth of Jesus Christ. And so we're constantly asking new questions about uh, what God is asking of us each and every day to be agents for evangelization. So we will do this today. We will be asking more questions about how we are to look at evangelization and maybe things we need to be thinking about in our evangelization. So, I will do this all with Bob Cross. It is Wednesday evening. So, Bob, it is great to have you with me another evening. Great to be here, Joe. Thank you. So, Bob, uh, Pope Francis in the news, uh, Monday morning, he delivered a uh, State of the World address, as the Pope will do at the beginning of each year. So, he had a message, uh, maybe similar to past year's, but there was something certainly that was unique that was coming through with Pope Francis.
1: Isn't it funny that, I, well, I've heard about these before only because I pay attention to these things. But in many other years, you, you don't hear that much or see that much printed about you know the State of the World Address, mm-hmm. you know, by a Pope. But you know, it's just another you know validation that this Pope draws a lot of attention when he speaks, and everybody is always seemingly wanting to you know hear what he has to say. And it's interesting when you, when you think about this in the context of how many Catholics are around the world and how the Christian faith is around the world, that you know, one man can address the whole world in terms of you know a message. And mm-hmm. it was really interesting to read that his overriding message is, that it usually has to do, and we're going to talk about it, I know, later today when we get into the joy of the gospel of, of, of culture. The many different cultures coming together that he helps to represent, that he leads throughout the world. They literally have what, what's called a. There's only just nuncios, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is only um, just a few states that does not have one: North mm-hmm. Korea, Vietnam, Arabian Peninsula, and the Palestinian State, and of course the People's Republic of China. Other than that, I mean, there's representation, mm-hmm. you know, between the Vatican and every country around the globe, and it's really, really startling and amazing when you stop to think about how much that means to the entire world, not just here in the United States.
0: Well, yeah, Bob, when you talk about Pope Francis talking about the cultures, what he did there was give a laundry list of the moral erosion and the moral decay in all of these cultures. It's most striking, from war to famine to rape to sex and drug trafficking. Um, I was really struck by Uh, the detail to which he presented all of these diplomats, what's going on around the world. If nothing else, he showed the world on Monday that he is a man who is very much in tuned with what's going on around the world. You know, we think about Pope Francis as being, you know, the leader of this universal church. Well, (laughs) it's universal, and so he's attentive to everything that embodies. Uh, Most striking... one paragraph after another, did he go there? And what was his overriding message in of itself? Well, on the heels of the Christmas season and the epiphany, it was peace. And what lies underneath that message of peace is is not something where he was just talking about we are going to attain the absence of warfare and then claim peace no he was routing this whole thing back to god and reminding the whole world that if you want to know peace it must first start with the incarnation of peace certainly he called out on governments to work together to find solutions to all of these civil unrests and certainly you know he noted among others Syria which for all intents and purposes, I don't want to digress too far, but I don't know if we've ever seen any kind of civil unrest like we are seeing in Syria today. It is, it is no wonder that he went there, but as a whole, he was calling on governments to work together, uh, just not for these civil wars, but also, again, the rape, the drug trafficking, the sex trafficking. Uh, he really highlighted that, the, the preying on young women, um, striking. So he he's talking about this but he says we must attain peace. We must attain peace because people will reject that peace like that of Herod, and he noted Herod, but we must seek it out on an individual basis if we're going to reclaim peace within our societies and within our cultures. And again, Bob, as we've talked about it before, peace is not the absence of the storm, okay? It is that living in covenant harmony with God that gives us the grace and the courage to look into the eye of the storm and say, peace, be still. And that's what we are to really draw uh, from, I think, this this address to the world. You know, so after he goes through this very long list of identifying um, all of the civil unrest across the world, you know, whether it be political, sociological, economic, or religious, he stressed that all of this is contrary to human dignity and the fruit of a mentality which is centered on money, benefits, and economic profit. Ultimately, it only follows the suit of what is detriment to man, this self-centeredness. So he goes on to say, and I think this is very important for us, Bob, then too, the family itself is not infrequently considered disposable. "...thanks to the spread of an individualistic and self-centered culture, which severs human bonds and leads to a dramatic fall in birth rates, as well as legislation which benefits various forms of cohabitation, rather than adequately supporting the family for the welfare of society as a whole." Did you catch that, Bob? He had some words about cohabitation there, for our listening audience who might actually think he encourages that. He goes on, I think this is really where we find our, our segue for Joy of the Gospel, Among the causes of these realities is a model of globalization, which levels out differences and even discards cultures, cutting them off from those factors which shape each people's identity and constitute a legacy essential to their sound social development. So there, Bob, Pope Francis was tying together a person's identity and how it's tied to culture, which in many ways is what lies at the heart of our discussion today from Joy the Gospel? He concludes In a drab, anonymous world, it is easy to understand the difficulties and the discouragement felt by many people who have literally lost the sense of being alive. Okay, this was a message he was giving to approximately 180 diplomats. As you talked about, only a few countries were not represented. It is a message that we should heed. And we heed this message better by doing what? By going deeper into what he intends to mean by uh, the importance of the human person and the dignity of the human person as it relates to just not our relationship with God, but also how it impacts culture. So, with that, Bob, let us take up Joy of the Gospel, in particular, the subsection titled uh, The Evangelizing Power of Popular Piety. I think a most fascinating topic. And uh, I think we're at, what, paragraphs 122. So,
1: In the same way, we can see that the different peoples among whom the gospel has been enculturated are active, collective subjects or agents of evangelization. This is because each people is the creator of their own culture and the protagonist of their own history. Culture is a dynamic realty which a people constantly recreates. Each generation passes on a whole series of ways of approaching different existential situations to the next generation, which must in turn reformulate if it, is, if it as it confronts its own challenges. Being human means being at the same time son and father of the culture to which one belongs. Once the gospel has, em- has been enculturated in a people, in their process of transmitting their culture, they also transmit the faith in ever new forms, Hence, the importance of understanding evangelization as in inculturation. Each portion of the people of God, by translating the gift of God into its own life and in accordance with its own genius, bears witness to the faith it has received and enriches it with new and eloquent expressions. One can say that a people continuously evangelizes itself. Herein lies the importance of popular piety, a true expression of the spontaneous missionary activity of the people of God. This is an ongoing and developing process of which the Holy Spirit is the principal agent.
0: Mm, That is a beautiful paragraph. You know, Bob, this sentence, each portion of the people of God, by translating the gift of God into its own life and in accordance with its own genius, bears witness to the faith it has received and enriches it with new and eloquent expressions. I love that. What is Pope Francis saying here? He is calling each and every one of us to see how we are created unique in the image and likeness of God. We are an unrepeatable gift, Bob, to the body of Christ. And when we humbly submit to the grace of God, what takes place is something beautiful a response that brings about more beauty to the body of Christ, more enrichment to the body of Christ. We all have a role here, Bob. We all have a call. We need to play our part for the kingdom of God. You know, what is that great quote from from St. Thomas Aquinas? Our acts of love are our God crowning his own gifts by sharing in God's own goodness— The beauty of who we are called to be is revealed, and I dare say there is nothing more exciting than entering into that great mission of sharing in the beauty of Christ and bringing about, as Pope Francis would put it, that eloquent expression of who we are called to be. Amen to that. Now, this phrase popular piety, how are we to understand this? Well, maybe we can best understand this by way of illustration, Bob. Let us take, for example, the Franciscan University of Steubenville, a very dynamic Catholic university that sits on the outskirts of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in a little town known as Steubenville, Ohio. This really has become, this Catholic university, the epicenter, the heartbeat of renewal in Catholic life today over the last 20-25 years. John Paul II, St. John Paul II now, when he was in Rome, when he was greeted by uh, some students from Steubenville, uh, he says, ah, Steubenville, you know what I mean? And it, it, with, with vigor and a sense of knowing what uh, is going on at Steubenville. Why? Because there is a popular piety. What do I mean by that? Well, if you're to go to Steubenville, you will see an exposure to the sacramental life that is second to none on a college campus. Uh, confession three times a day, uh, mass numerous times a day. It's a very striking thing to come out of a college classroom and have the opportunity, Bob, to walk two blocks down to be able to go to confession every day, you know, or to go two blocks down and to be able to go to mass. Um, That kind of sacramental exposure is going to lead to a life-giving spirit and to a devotional person. Uh, Certainly, you see this as well when you walk across the campus of Steubenville, people constantly in prayer. Uh, So, from the sacramental life to the devotional and life of prayer, you have this kind of activity that lends itself to evangelical power, uh, catechetical power, missionary activity. Okay, this is uh, what popular piety is about. And something else here, Bob, this university just didn't wake up one day and was uniquely Catholic, huh? You know, in 1974, Franciscan University of Steubenville in Ohio was a top party school in the nation. Fathom that. In 1974, Father Mike Scanlon was installed as president, and he made some changes. He enculturated the gospel, huh? He brought that transforming message to that campus. He needed to make some serious changes to overhaul a lot of the faculty, but he brought some new faculty on board. And what did he do, Bob? But he brought a new, vibrant worship. He centered that place uh, on the Mass. And remember, the word culture, cultus, worship, right? What is the center of our faith? But the Mass, where we enter into that worship of the one true God, so that we can then be literally, what, sent forth, missio, to be sent forth. He centered the Franciscan University on that, and look at its fruit. Ah, Steubenville, you know, because of what they're producing. And there is a kind of magnetism that takes place with a place like this. I know, Bob, you were talking about pilgrimage sites, World Youth Day, uh, earlier, I mean Medjugorio, these, yeah, I mean, yeah. You know,
1: yeah. it's it's interesting when you put these two words together because they're not generally used, you know, next to each other. Popular piety, because generally, you think of piety or being pious or being devout, you know, going about in the in the glory and worship of God. That's typically not associated with something popular. That's mm-hmm. usually the other, the far end of it. It's the partying, like you said, that the way it used to be mm-hmm. at, at that particular school and. And it's, it's wonderful to see that once that's enculturated, you know, piety or the mass, as you said, the center of it, um, how easily it can start to permeate and become very, very popular by virtue of its own, you know, benefits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and how that can spread and how people from, yeah, Majigoria or World Youth Day, you get that energy and everybody is excited about being, you know, there for, for the one purpose. And it just feeds off of, off of Uh, from one person to the next.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, it goes back to that proverb, you know, we've talked about so many times, what you feed grows. And uh, I think that's a great point when you do put those two words together, because when being pious is popular, you know, you are well on your way if if you are overseeing a campus, right? I mean, I, I have said before that, you know, the Catholic Church is never going to win a popularity contest. But across the world, the Catholic Church is popular in areas. And in those areas, specifically places like Steubenville or some of these pilgrimage sites, uh, Rome, uh, Lourdes, Fatima, Medjugorje, and some of these sites, there is this life-giving energy that, that makes it attractive. And, you know, circling back to 122 a little bit here, Bob, so we go to these places, we go to Steubenville or we go to Lourdes, Fatima, Medjugorje, we're renewed. And at the same time, out from that renewal, we bring something back to hand-on. Okay, this is really important. That Steubenville, you know, it's up on a hill. If it's just about studying the faith and you're done, you get your degree, and then you go back into the world and you just live your life without sharing the gospel message, Steubenville would not be what it is today. The very fact that you leave that hill, you come down from that hill and you're on fire for God, sharing the gospel message, evangelizing and catechizing is why it is growing, because that's the way in which it feeds on itself in a positive way. Now, we were talking before, Bob, and I think it's important to touch upon something else as it relates to popular, (laughs) and that's the other side of all of this. You know, Satan has established himself in certain sectors and areas across the world, and it is popular to go against truth, and one area and one place that we see this certainly is Hollywood. You know there is a profound moral erosion taking place in Hollywood right now, and it it's not rocket science. All you have to do is go into your local video store, DVD store, and look at the walls. It's, it's just one horrific rated R movie after another, and you kind of look at that. And if you haven't been in a video store for four or five years, it can almost shock you. I mean, it really can, and it's just kind of a sign of where Hollywood's at and and how Satan has manipulated the whole industry for his advantage. And so what do we need to do? Well, we go to these places, and we are filled with His grace— so as to come back and to evangelize these sectors. And is this not what enculturation of the gospel is all about? John Paul II was huge on this point. He was asked in one particular interview, you know, who should we be thinking about who would evangelize? And he was quick to say, you know, the journalists, the actors and actresses, the musicians, those who have influence over people. Well, Does not Hollywood, does not mainstream media, have we not been talking about this, Bob, have influence over the way we think? So yes, evangelize them, and do not be intimidated by the the mass thing that is Hollywood. No, one by one, we'll be talking about this next week and the person by person as Pope Francis talks about it, but yeah, one by one, evangelize those people who God is calling us to evangelize. You never know what's going to happen. Maybe some of you are thinking, well, gosh, you know, does it have, do we have to go to Hollywood? No, no, go to those places in our local neighborhoods and our local communities where there's an absence of Christ, where there's an absence of love and evangelize.
1: You know, it's, you know, back to the popular piety and the way that Pope Francis addresses it, enjoy the gospel. Um, and I can't help as you're describing it, Joe, that, you know, there's oftentimes, um, you know, in association with anything, Pope Francis, you hear the words ardor, you hear the words fervor or excitement, you know, words that describe a real, um, a real excitement about the gospel. And that's why the title of this uh, exhortation is Joy of the Gospel, because what better way to enculturate or to evangelize than through joy? You know, we've mentioned it before, if somebody's joyous, other people want some of that. They want to know what that is. They want a helping of joy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's what we do when we go out and we gather together with other joyous people to celebrate um, you know, the faith. And you're right, go back to our, our areas that aren't as joyous by nature mm-hmm. to shine the light, yeah. you know, to spread that excitement that we feel, that ardor. Yeah. Well, it's funny you just
0: used the phrase to shine that light because I was thinking about that. That juxtaposition of light and darkness, I have been told on a number of occasions, you know, Joe, it's just getting so dark out there. Well, my response to that is, well, (laughs) the greater your light will shine, you know, and and don't hold it back. And because ultimately, this, this is our vocation. We don't run from the darkness. There's a tendency today, Bob, to say, well, you want to know what? I want to take my family and I want to move because it's just too dangerous over here and it's just too dangerous over there. I get that, especially when you're raising your family. But what you have to be thinking about is what is God asking from you? Be careful not to run from that darkness. Remember what we were saying earlier about peace? Peace isn't the absence of the storm or the conflict. Peace is being rooted in a relationship with God and out from that grace-filled relationship with God, we have the strength necessary to look into the eye of the storm and say, peace, be still. So yes, we seek those areas of darkness out and we go there. We go there. And ultimately, we do that because that's where Jesus Christ went. We are not called to be like Jesus. We are called to be Jesus. You know, And that's really important to, to enter into. Okay, so there's something else here, Bob, that I also wanted to get to. You know, Pope Francis turns to a deeper truth concerning popular piety. You know, out from a culture that builds itself up in a fraternity in love and truth, do we find a manifestation uh, that is most attractive, especially among the poor? And this is what Pope Francis talks about. He he really highlights uh, those very concrete situations that we find ourselves in uh, that are very simple, yet have a way of witnessing more profoundly to this call that we have to embrace each and every moment as something that belongs to God. Some of the examples he gives here, he says, I think of the steadfast faith of those mothers tending their sick children who, though perhaps barely familiar with the articles of the creed, cling to a rosary, or of all the hope poured into a candle lighted in a humble home with a prayer for help from Mary, or in the gaze of tender love directed to Christ crucified. No one, he says, who loves God's holy people will view these actions as the expression of a purely human search for the divine. They are the manifestation of a life nourished by the working of the Holy Spirit who has been poured into our hearts. This is important because Ultimately, what we are then made to see is how these kinds of acts are a part of that popular piety.
1: Yeah, it's it's just wonderful the way that he describes all of all of that in this exhortation um, because, you know, it, it really comes back down to the individual person. As much as he talks generally about peace around the globe or he, like you mentioned earlier in his address this last Monday, he talks about, um, you know, every corner of the globe in terms of things that are going on. But he never loses sense or he never loses that, that context that it comes down to the individual person. That's why he's always talking about the marginalized, mm-hmm. or the poor, the hungry, those whose uh, uh, dignity has been compromised. He's always focusing on what the gospel tells us, and that's that we need to think of the dignity of the human person, and we need to look at those around us and ourselves and recognize that we're we are part of the bigger whole.
0: Amen! That's right, Bob, and it's to remember, again, as we will talk about it next week when we get into Pope Francis's subsection on, you know, we evangelize person by person, that before societies change, before cultures change, individual hearts must first be transformed. Well, Bob, by way of our closing piece this evening, I wanted to speak of the Trinity here a little bit because, again, we always turn to the Trinity as that uh, chief model in how to better understand how we are called to go about in this great mission that is before us in the new evangelization. You know, many saints, many doctors of the church, church fathers have talked about the Trinity as a society. They've offered us some beautiful reflections, but I want to turn to St. John Paul II, okay, where he talks about the Trinity, yes, as a society, as a community of persons, but first as a family. Because, as he puts it, God in his deepest mystery is not a solitude, some abstract, punitive, institutional authoritarian up there waving his finger. No, He is family because he has fatherhood, sonship, and the essence of family, which is love. And this turns our attention to that first and primordial place of evangelization, which is the family. Because it is in the family that we have, from one minute to the next and from one hour to the next, one concrete situation after another in which God calls us to go deeper in our faith, in that mode of gradual transformation, dying to self if it's getting our kids ready for school in the morning, if it's making their lunch, if it's running errands, if it's taking our kids from point A to point B, if it's doing laundry, if it's changing diapers, if it's cooking dinner, if it's reading with our kids, all of these things that we have before us, and of course I'm thinking of parents, right, are concrete situations for us to go deeper. And when we enter into that first vocation, right, ah, then we are disposed to be emission to our local communities and local neighborhoods. I'm thinking of one Blessed Teresa of Calcutta on one occasion where this elder lady rushes the stage. She goes right up to Mother Teresa and she says, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I will go. I will serve God. Just tell me what to do. She comes down from the podium, that is Mother Teresa. She cups her her face, and she says, go home, look into the eyes of your children, and feed their spiritual poverty. Ah, what was the message of the great blessed trees of Calcutta? Before you go into mission, into the outskirts of Timbuktu, enter into the concreteness of your everyday life. Yes, the Trinity is a society. It is a community of persons, but it is first family. And if we are going to speak the language of the Trinity fluently, we must enter into this dynamic. And certainly this is what Pope Francis wants wants us to see, that the family is the first and vital cell to society. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.
1: Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth